Welcome back to episode four of this podcast series, Voices of the Runner. Now, this episode is structured a little bit differently to the others, and I have to give special thanks to Sotomay Hutter for helping me out. We talk about my personal journey through life and running and how my perspective and approach to running has changed over time. One of the key parts that we touch on is enjoyment and what is enjoyment when it comes to running and why it's important. So I think the theme of this episode is really encapsulated by the title. It's all about the why. Now, I hope you enjoy. And if you do enjoy, I'd love to hear some feedback. I'm currently studying a Master of Science Communication and Outreach at the Australian National University in Canberra. Um, so that was this year. Um, last year, I was back in Sydney uh, and I finished my uh, undergraduate. Uh, well, I had finished my honours research mid last year in chemistry. Um, so I graduated with a Bachelor of Advanced Science um, honours in chemistry with a major in chemistry and a minor in maths. Yeah, cool. And I know a lot of people do not know your history with running. And I think it would be good for the people to know uh, what the host of Voices of the Runner um, has gone through in terms of his running journey. So can you give us like a brief rundown on when you started running and all the details? Uh, actually, my parents told me a funny story. Um, when I was like really small, um we used to do a lot of bushwalking and things like that and then one of the one of the things that i said which now my parents always repeat to me is i'm tired so i'm gonna run and so i guess i started running at that real young age and you know running was for me a form of excitement enjoyment and also you know where i got adrenaline from um so it's probably why when i was tired i'd just go for a run and i think you know for me, when did I first start running? I don't know. In, from all I remember, I was kind of always running from early primary school. When I was like four or five years old, I was running everywhere. I was that hyperactive kid. And that also meant that, you know, I really love sport. So I did all of the sport. I started karate when I was four years old. You know, I was playing soccer a lot. Um, and running was an addition to that. So I think in primary school, I did running all the time and you know I was one of the fastest ones in the athletics carnival always winning you know 800 meter races the cross country and I really peaked in year six that was like that was like you know my peak in life year six 12, 12 years old 11 years old um, I came first in the school 100 meter at the athletics carnival first in the school's 50 meter freestyle swimming carnival and first in the school cross country, just like, you know, the main event in the three carnivals, the main, the big three carnivals, sport carnival at school. So you really did peak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, I was, I was a pretty fast runner um, in primary school and really early high school. I think between the age between 12 and 14, 15, I was doing state level track and field. My primary event was the 800. So I think when I was 12 years old, I was running, a, it was like a 206 or 208, 800 meter, which is pretty fast. Um, but I hated the 800 meter. Um, and I always prefer the 1500 meter just because, you know, the 800 meter is basically a 400 meter sprint followed by a 
extra lap where you hang on for dear life. And it was by far one of the hardest events to run, but I was really good at it. And I was, you know, always at that age performing at a state level. Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't one of the top athletes in the state, but I was getting really close to it, um, to that level. And I, I did, you know, the cross country, I was at state level cross country for a couple of years as well in early high school. But I think one of the biggest problems I had was because I was good at running and, you know, joining an athletics, little athletics at that time, my parents kind of always, you know, encouraged me to run and race. And whenever we had athletic meets, you know, you didn't really get a choice if you were, you competed or not, you kind of always had to compete. And I think there was this level of expectation that I would always go at my 100% and always put in the 100% effort, but also perform at that 100%. And I think that that's definitely a very unrealistic expectation. And I think at that young age, you know, it really, you know, made an impression on me. And I really started hating to run. So when it got to like, when I was about 15, 16 years old, when you know, you start to get a bit more freedom in life. I kind of just stopped running cold turkey. So I was going from state level track and field to just, you know, cold turkey, no running. And I was doing other sports like soccer, rugby league, touch footy, volleyball. Um, so I was still staying fit, but, you know, I was good at running, really good at running. But, you know, I kind of gave it up and just didn't touch it for a good six years, I'd say. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that a lot of people didn't know that. So it would have been interesting to hear all that, how you came from this track background because now you're very into your trail running and vertical gain as you, you know, talk about all the time. And it's probably hard to have a conversation with you without hearing the word elevation or vertical gain or um, climbing. So, <laughs> so I know that you said you did a few sports during the six years, but did running like still cross your mind during those six years? Like were you ever thinking of coming back in the future or was it like, I hate running. I'm never going to come back. I, I think I, mm, tough question. I think it was, you know, bordering the line of, I hate running. I'll never come back. And I, I, I didn't think of it in, with such antipathy, but I always kind of, I never thought of it as something that I would come back to. Yeah. And it was definitely, because I was really burnt out um, and I really started to hate the competitiveness of running, um, which I think was a shame because I was, I was performing at such a high level and physically, I think I was fine. I could perform and I was doing well, but I think mentally and psychologically in that space, um, I was definitely overworked and overtrained um, in running. And I think that kind of, molds my view of running in in the current age uh, I try to like not think of running as a race anymore I try to think of it as like a lot of enjoyment and for example when I structure a lot of my years or like my training year uh, or my racing year I always kind of only put one race for the year because what I've realized is that I don't enjoy racing I enjoy the training and the journey to get to that point. But the race itself, I don't really love it. I love the training. So, and I think that's quite, I, I feel like that's quite different to how a lot of other people see the running. 
And I think, I think that's, you know, fine for the others, but for me trying to be stuck or hell bent on reaching a specific time of performance is what got me out of running. So I'm trying to really be careful to not get stuck into that same mindset as I did when I was young and, you know, I'm having so much fun and I'm loving running so much now that I really think it'd be a huge shame and a loss if you know I get into the wrong mindset and start hating it again. Yeah, I just said earlier, you, you know, burnt out and experienced the height of performing at the best level in running at a pretty young age. So you have this unique perspective compared to other people. And yeah, you mentioned an interesting thing about enjoyment and all these people well, when giving advice for running, you always hear this cliche tip of enjoying it. And I think not enough people take it seriously enough. And, you know, they just say it's cliche, but it's, I think it is actually an important factor because it's so hard to do something you don't enjoy in the long term. And I think you're like the perfect example for this. And I know that you enjoy training more than racing now because I remember talking to you about it at some point in the past. But yeah, I think I agree to a certain extent um, that training is really fun. And, you know, if running was all about racing, I wouldn't have been doing all this training uh, in 2020. I realized in 2020 as well that, you know, even though all these races got canceled, I was just enjoying training so much that it didn't really affect me as much as I thought it would, that races got canceled. Uh, You know, it kind of did the opposite to me. I just started enjoying running so much more because I saw the fun that um, training can bring, especially during peak lockdown where we could only run with one one other person. I realized how much I missed running with a lot of people. So when restrictions eased a bit and I got to start um, running in groups again, I definitely realized how much I enjoyed just training and running and being with other people. Yeah. And I think when you say enjoyment, um, that, that kind of rings a bell my head because I think a lot of different people have different definitions of enjoyment and you know I don't know you know I'm not the best runner I'm not the fastest runner so I don't know if I can be you know an authority in a sense on this but what I feel like I see a mistake or something that I don't want to get caught in the trap of where I see a lot of other people get caught in the trap of is they they get their enjoyment through looking at their performance and seeing whether they hit a certain time or things like that. And for me, I see that as a huge trap and a huge mistake. Um, And I think that's probably because of what I went through at a young age and getting burnt out. And I think it's like, you know, you hear about people in the workplace talking about KPIs, you know, key performance index and rating your performance at work or in study through numbers, right? And through a performance index. And, you know, you hear that a lot of people that it doesn't really encapsulate you as a person and your productivity. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to running. When you start putting numbers and metrics into, and you're making numbers and metrics your index of enjoyment, I think that that is a really dangerous thing to do because as soon as you stop hitting those marks, you've now put yourself in a bit of a hole. And that's definitely what I experienced. And I think that's probably something that's pretty common in track, right? Because you're counting numbers, you're looking at performances, you're racing to always be better. And I don't think always being better is a bad thing. I think that's a very good thing to aim for. But when you 
you know, now suddenly your enjoyment is based off numbers. I think that that's a dangerous trap. And for me, when it comes to running, and I say enjoyment, like my enjoyment comes from my sense of adventure and wonder. And with that, I think that like my favorite run of the week is my Sunday long run. And it's the Sunday long run because it, the Sunday long run is always a different adventure. I do, you know, a long trail run. I usually spend like eight hours out on the trail, going everywhere and anywhere, seeking out the most, you know, technical trails with the most elevation gain. You'll hear that a lot from me, elevation gain and technical trails. And it's all about, you know, going out an adventure and trying to find trails and things that I don't usually go through, that I don't usually experience. And so what I do with my training is that during the week, it's all about, you know, getting fit, getting fit enough to go longer and harder and enjoy myself more on the Sundays. So, and I, I feel like, you know, I feel like that's a healthy relationship with running and, you know, enjoyment in running. Yeah. To give a bit of my personal side, I, I feel like I'm still transitioning from this phase where I'm obsessed with the numbers and like getting faster all the time uh, and enjoying running. So uh, it is nice to have like a friend who is in the situation where they don't care about the numbers anymore um, and just likes enjoying running as a sport. And I want to know why you quit track and then took six years off and then went into trail. What, what do you enjoy so much about trail? I think at first, like I didn't know, oh, I think, you know, from a young age, because I always used to go kind of bushwalking and my parents were quite outdoorsy. So that's something that we used to do with my, my dog, Kitaro, who um, passed away quite a few years ago. Um, and so I think I always had this attachment to just going out exploring and adventuring and I kind of stuck to that. So when I got back into running, um, I didn't really know much about trail running until I joined my sister. Um, I was a spectator and my sister was racing the Ultra Trail Australia. And when I saw that event and when I saw what those people go through and the kind of emotions and hardship, but also kind of joy and excitement that they go through, and all the emotions that you feel at that race really ignited a bit of passion into trail running for me. Um, and I love, you know, technical trails. And it's because when I run technical trails, it reminds me of like being a kid. Reminds me of like being a kid and playing, you know, the floor is lava game, right? I'm sure like most kids, pretty much all kids have done that. It's a universal experience. And when I'm running these technical trails, you know, you really got to be careful about your foot placement, right? You know, one wrong step and you, you know, rolled your ankle or you've tumbled. And that kind of experience and adrenaline and thrill really reminds me of playing the floor is lava as a kid. And so that's kind of like, it ignites this excitement within me and reminds me of that. And that's one reason, you know, that childlike wonder that I get is one reason why I like trail running. And when I'm running and flowing through these trails, I feel like it's almost like a dance, like an artistic expression of myself. And tiptoeing 
through all the rocks and roots and branches, it puts me in a really nice meditative state in essence. And at the same time, you know, I have to be aware and all my senses, my sight, my hearing, and even kind of smell, those kinds of senses need to be really on high alert. Otherwise, you know, you miss your step, you fall down. And being in that heightened sense of self is in a way real, like a, it feels like I'm getting into that meditation mindset. And so there's like two big reasons why I enjoy trail running. And that's why I don't call fire trails like real trails. Fire trails are fake trails. And I think it's because I view trail running as, you know, looking, I enjoy trail running because of the technical aspect, because it puts me into those mindsets. Why I like elevation is that I think I'm a bit of a sucker for pain. And I like just grinding up those hills and feeling the burn through my glutes and my quads and just, you know, holding myself at that threshold and just pushing my muscles. I like the burn in the quads, my glutes. Yeah. And thinking about it, it actually makes sense why um, you like the trail. Uh, another reason why that I want to add is because track is like so much about the numbers that if you take away the numbers from track, there's you know, I would say there's virtually no point of track. And therefore, you know, you being someone that isn't caught up in the numbers anymore, you kind of need that um, experience in the trail to, you know, have fun, I guess. And now, you know, you kind of opened up my mind on why you do like the trail. And although I'm a person that's not up for, you know, the, the grind of going up the hill and stuff like that. I, I just don't like pain as much as you do, I think. But there is that occasional time once in a while where I just want to get into the nature, be away from people, somewhere where you can't even get signal and just, you know, as cliche and as corny as it sounds, uh, be in one with the nature. I think you brought up a really good point about, you know, track that's, you know, focused on timings. Um, and when you take that away, you don't really have much else. Maybe, you know, that just made me think about when we talk about trail running, pace is kind of irrelevant. Pace is meaningless when it comes to trail running because there's so much variation in terrain, technical, non-technical, flat, you know, windy parts. And so I guess when you take time or, you know, those splits pace, away from trail running, you, you still have the essence of trail running. It doesn't really disappear. And yeah, I love yeah, the sensation of flowing through a technical trail. And one of my favorite things is when someone turns around and tells me that a trail is unrunnable, I really get ignited and I'm just like, it's not unrunnable, watch me run it. And that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that I, I love to challenge myself with. Yeah. Um, I know the answer to this question because you've told me before, but for the listeners who are wondering, if pace doesn't matter in, like, let's say a trail race, uh, what do you use as a substitute to, you know, track, well, pace, but in a non-pace way? <laughs> yeah, so I think in terms of, like, looking at kilometer splits, that is kind of meaningless because you have so much variation over um, every kilometer every 100 meters, every 10 meters, the terrain is different. So in that sense, pace is irrelevant. But when you kind of take a 10 kilometer section, 
um, you can kind of like average it out and say, you know, okay, for this 10K section, there's a bit of shoviness, there's a bit of elevation gain, but it's a quite smooth trail. So I should take, you know, 60 minutes. Um, so in that sense, you do still look at splits, but in terms of holding a, a consistent pace, it's not really what you would, what I would look at when I'm doing trails. One thing that I would kind of rate myself on is perceived effort, perceived effort level. And that's, you know, I'm a huge, um, uh, yeah, I, I have a huge backing for thinking about what the effort feels like. But that also requires you to be quite in tune with your body and, you know, understand how your body's feeling and what kind of pace you're running. But I usually relate it to like, you know, I feel like I'm running an equivalent of five minutes 30 on the road, or I feel like I'm running an equivalent of, you know, four minute pace on a flat road. Um, that's what this effort feels like. And that's kind of how I base a lot of my pacing off when I run trails. One other thing that I wanted to get to in this podcast was I know you've done a few trail races and except for this one race where, you know, you were trying to be competitive in, I think there were a few races where you did it purely for the enjoyment and you, you know, you weren't really being competitive and you were just letting the race turn out however it turns out. Um, you've even helped out with um, some other ultra runners on like a 50k leg over hundred miler run. So can you talk about some of the coolest experiences you've had in trail in a, in a race, I guess. In terms of running races, I've done the Sydney Morning Herald half marathon in 2018, I believe. And then I did the Hounslow 21k sky run last year in September. I did the YTF 50k in Hong Kong early in January this year. And I did the um, Tarawera ultramarathon, the 50k in February. But really the only race that I've gone in racing and trying to get a time and be competitive was really the, um, the 50k ultramarathon in Hong Kong, where I did place um, as the senior ones age champion. Um, so I did a pretty good result there. I was six overall and champion of the age category, the men's senior one. Um, funnily enough, you know, coming back to that idea of enjoyment, I have done more pacing duties for my friend Adam than I have like, you know, races in essence, because the only race I did was the 50K, but I've done several pacing efforts for other people. Um, and I think that comes back to my enjoyment of not the races, but the training and the adventure. Yeah. Um, but I think I'll tell you a good story about my, you know, first ultra marathon, which was the YTF 50K. So it's 50Ks in Hong Kong and 3,600 meters of elevation gain. And I had been training up for it for a good six months. And I was doing every Sunday, I was going to my favorite backyard in Blackheath in the Blue Mountains, doing a 35K run. And I was always trying to hit the 3,000 meter mark. And I was always falling short of 3,000 meters of elevation gain. Um, but that was one of my goals. And I think I trained up and prepared really well for the race. And I hit 
all the marks that I needed to. I did everything right in training. I tried all of my nutrition stuff that I was going to use on race day in training, tested it out. And then race day came and I feel like I performed. I feel like it, it felt like a bad performance, but looking at the numbers and looking objectively, I think it was a really good performance, but it felt like a bad performance on the day. I was really lucky because I ran into this guy, Cyril Gomez, um, and we were kind of running at the same pace for the whole 50Ks. And he turned out to be a local to the Hong Kong area there. And he was basically my tour guide for the whole 50K race. And we'd climb a mountain and be like, oh, if you look right behind you, you can see Shenzhen. That's the Hong Kong-China border. And this is the best place to take photos and, you know, he knew the course like the back of his hand and he guided me and I was really, you know, appreciative of that because he really helped me get through it. And he told me like, Oh, this is the hardest climb coming up or the last climb of the day is, you know, the second hardest climb, but it's sense really good. It's really technical. And it was giving me all this information and felt like a bit of a cheat because like I kind of had a cheat book almost for the race, but it definitely made my race go really well. And I smashed it. I did so well. I was running the last few Ks at about four minute pace. Granted, it was down a hill, but I had been up my stride and I was hitting, you know, four minutes per K or faster for the last eight Ks almost. And I was really flying. And I finished the race in eight hours and three minutes, which is pretty good. But what happened the next day was that I felt fine. The second day after, I felt fine. The third day after is when the doms really set in and it was pretty hard on my legs. <laughs> I won't lie, you know, your first ultra on that kind of, you know, elevation profile really does a number on your quads, especially with the really steep downhills that that race has. And I was walking to the airport and I had my suitcase next to me and I was using it as like a crutch. I was putting all my weight on it and it was supporting me and that was the only reason I could walk to the airport or walk, you know, onto the, at the train station to the train, you know, and get all the way to the airport. But as soon as I went and checked in my luggage and I had lost my crutch, which I was supporting all my weight, I suddenly just collapsed at a total quad shutdown. And it was a bit embarrassing, but I had to ask the uh, airport staff to get a wheelchair and wheelchair me onto the plane. And then wheelchair me off the plane when I arrived in Japan. And uh, it's pretty hard, pretty hard, you know, <laughs> pretty painful and hard experience. But luckily, none of my friends saw it. So there were no pictures. So it didn't happen. <laughs> um, and then for about a whole week um, after that race, I couldn't really walk very well. Uh, I couldn't really, no running. I could barely walk. But exactly a week after that race on the Saturday, I joined an 18K trail run with about 1,500 metres of vert, which is, you know, about 8% average, which means you're climbing for 1,500 metres, but you're also descending for 1,500 metres. Um, and I somehow survived that on those legs. So that was pretty interesting experience. And I've never experienced DOMS that quite that bad before. Also pretty interesting how the DOMS came three days later because usually DOMS come, you know, a day after, but maybe, you know, I, I don't have the science to back it up. So 
don't quote me, but you know, maybe the more severe it is, the later it comes or something like that. But that is, you know, pretty interesting. And I did hear about the fact that you kind of collapsed at the airport on some group chat, but it's interesting hearing the whole story. <laughs> Going on with the topic of, you know, the steep uphills and stuff like that. Do you have any tips for beginner trail runners on how to ascend and descend hills properly? Because I know there's a certain element of, you know, technique and stuff involved, uh, including what you do with your arms as well. So maybe could you give a few tips on that? I think the number one most important tip is posture. And I think that does a couple of things. Uh, first thing with posture is it helps with your breathing. You know, if you have a upright posture and your, you know, your shoulders are broad, your lungs are open, you're going to be able to take in more air, which you'll need when you're going up hills because you're going to be working at a much harder, higher intensity and heart rate. Um, the second thing that posture does, having a good posture with your chest as well as a good posture with your hips, is that it will help activate your glutes. And when it comes to running, and in particular going up hills, your glutes are the main uh, powerhouse, not your quads. So if you have a good posture with your hips and with your chest, I think that that would make a huge improvement to your ability to go up climbs. Um, and yeah, how about descending? In terms of descending, um, so a lot of people think that climbing or going uphill is harder for your body, but it's not actually true. Going downhill is actually a lot harder. Um, and more specifically, the, it's the impact load on your quads, your quadriceps. When you're going downhill, if you think about gravity, right, going uphill, you're going to fight against the force of gravity, right? So every step you take, you need to push against gravity to go up. But when you're coming downhill, gravity is pulling you down. So every step you take, you got to, you know, you got to um, be able to hold your own weight plus the force of gravity, which is pulling your whole body down. So the impact load when you land going downhills is several times the load that your muscles will feel if when you're going uphill. So going downhill really destroys your quads. So the first thing I'd say is to take the downhills easy and to kind of save the quads as much as you can. And one of the tips my friend gave me for that was to go downhills kind of sideways. So if you're descending down a steep hill, you know, go on your left side, go straight forward, go on your right side. And so that way, when you turn your body, you use different kind of fibers in your quads. And so you're kind of evening out the load um, rather than just destroying, you know, uh, one strand or one fiber of your quadriceps. Well, that is actually very good insight. And I realized that I've been descending the wrong way the whole time. So yeah, thanks for that. And I mean, it depends on how far, how long your descending is. And it, with the, what I've realized with the um, steep downhills is that if you're just going downhills, you won't really feel it. But as soon as you go downhill, you destroy your quads and then you try to go uphill that's when you feel it. You feel it when you're going uphill, but you've really done the damage while you're descending. Yeah. And uh, to add on there, like you said earlier, trails obviously have different terrain and no trail is going to be the same. And therefore having that experience is going to, you know, kind of 
help you decide how to defend, how to, you know, attack the show and stuff like that. So I think that's another fun way, uh, fun thing about the trails where it becomes kind of like a game where you have to be strategical about how you do things. The decisions that you make in a race can really make or break how you perform and stuff like that. So I feel like that's a whole new level of um, fun that I managed to appreciate just from having this combo with you today. Which is definitely, yeah. Definitely I think, interesting. Um, I think uh, Ian in the, I was listening to Ian's episode uh, of your podcast and he brought up an interesting point of why he likes the St. Peter's Parkrun course. And that was because the one, you know, small, short uphill section there really throws a spanner in the works for a lot of people when they're racing. And that changes your mindset of how to approach the race. And I feel like that's definitely true for trail races, you know, with the changes in terrain, you know, I'm very good as a runner on really technical terrain um, where most people that I know would slow down. It's not that I go fast on technical terrain. Is that I'm very comfortable with it that I don't slow down. I don't put on the brakes. I just run the same speed on fire trail as I do on really technical terrain. And that's the opposite of a lot of people, you know. But my downfall is that I'm pretty slow on flat non-technical terrain not saying that i'm like slow or bad like i'm just not as fast as i you know as other people on that um so that definitely plays into kind of my tactics when i'm racing i'm also really good at climbing and going up hills and you know that's a weak point for a lot of other people so i think racing in a trail race is very different from racing on a track or on a flat smooth road run and yeah, the, the tactics you use uh, could be quite interesting. Yeah. Um, sticking on the topic of trail, what races are like sort of in your bucket list or not? maybe not necessarily races, but trail routes um, around the world? Have you heard of any cool stuff? Yeah, so there's one race that's definitely on my radar and that's the Great Southern Endurance Run. So that happens every second year. And the next instalment is going to be November in 2021. So I'm planning to do the 50 mile there. Um, so last year I was there with Adam Brody, who he ran the 100 mile and I paced him for the last, I think, 40 Ks of it. And I'll tell you, that area is in the Victorian Alps and it is beautiful. It is absolutely gorgeous. And like the trails there, I mean, some of the trails you run there, they don't really exist as trails, but it's, you know, really technical and I loved it. So that's that's one of my big bucket list items of what I want to do. The other big bucket list item that I want to do that really, you know, excited me when I saw it was UTMR, Ultra Trail Mont Rosa, which... It's near where UT, so this race is held one week after UTMB, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which is one of the most famous um, races when it comes to ultra marathons. So it's one week after that. And it, instead of going around some of those big mountains that UTMB goes around, it actually goes over those mountains, right over the top. And it actually goes right over the peak of, I think it's the Switzerland and Italy border and it looks <laughs> it looks like an adventure 
like it just looks fun and exciting to do um other than that i don't really have any goals for races um yeah for trail races at least road races i don't have any on my list like yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think you mainly do road running still uh purely for the social aspect and just getting to know more people so uh, I can kind of see that and, you know, I think that's a fair call and a fair opinion to have. Yeah, hopefully you can try and reel more people into the trails so that you have more bodies to run in the trails with and don't have to run on the road anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think but, for me, road running is mostly um, just, you know, on that social aspect as well as kind of just helping me get that baseline fitness so that I can have more adventures. Yeah. Uh, so as a trail runner right now, what's a week in training looking looking like for you? Um, so right at the moment, um, I'm in the middle of my field work for my studies. So I've had to deload a bit. And because of where I live in Canberra, I'm cycling a lot. So I'm doing about 200 Ks of cycling a week. So my training, my running training is definitely deloaded. But before that, um, kind of right in the middle of the COVID lockdown was when I was really peaking well with my training. I was, I usually aim for about a hundred Ks a week. My general plan was like on a Sunday, I would aim for like 35, <coughs> 40 Ks. So my general plan was on a Sunday, I'd aim for like 35, 40 or 45 K long run um, on trails. And for me, the minimum threshold for a run that's worthwhile is 1500 meters for a Sunday long run in terms of vertical gain. Monday would be like a recovery run. Tuesday morning, I used to go to the bagels, bagels a lot. Then I'd do like eight Ks. Tuesday afternoons, I'd do um, the Sydney Harbour Runners, which was another, depending on how, long, how far they decide to run, from 12 to 20. Wednesdays, I joined the Sydney Uni um, UCID Run Club for their social run. Thursdays was just another recovery run. Fridays, um, another easy run. And Saturdays, I'd do like a park run as a tempo effort. So I'd run, run to park run and then tempo effort at park run then run home for about 15Ks roughly. Um, and I'd add up to about 100Ks there or, yeah, just about. Yeah, I do remember you went a few weeks in a row doing pretty high mileage and it was impressive. And I think, yeah, my highest mileage was probably early this year, right after Hong Kong. So Hong Kong was my first, yeah, in January was my first ultramarathon, which is a 50K. And I think five weeks after that, I had my second 50K race where in New Zealand, where that night I backed it up by doing a 53K pacer leg for Adam. Um, but in those five weeks between Hong Kong and New Zealand. That first week I did that 18K run in Japan. But then the following week when I was back in Australia, I did a 45K run. And then the next week I also did a 40, about a 40 plus K run. And then another week of 40 plus, about 45Ks. And then I took a like a taper week straight into New Zealand. So that was really my peak. Um, and I was I was fit and feeling really good then. And just, you know, wanting to get back to that form where I can feel good and just run forever. Yeah, 
So going off that, uh, to wrap up the podcast, what is in the plans for you in the near future and in the long-term future? What do you want to achieve in running? And yeah, give us a rundown of your plans. So one goal, I know I said I didn't like, you know, I don't want to focus too much on metrics. Um, but some of the goals I have is a two-minute 800, which I feel like I'm pretty close to hitting. Um, also, just generally getting a bit fitter and faster with my 5K time because my 5K time doesn't, my current 5K PR doesn't really reflect the fitness level that I could really be at. Um, other than that, right now, my main focus is in the 50K and 50-mile 50 distances. And I'm trying to get more focus into kind of mountain running and sky running. Um, so there's some things I want to continue on with. And eventually down the track sometime in my lifetime, I may or may not run a marathon, um, a road marathon. And I've kind of told myself that I will run a road marathon once I run a sub three marathon in training. And then I might consider running a road marathon. But until then, I don't think I have any aspirations for uh, doing road runs but I think what I want to the biggest goal I want to accomplish is longevity in enjoying running and I think that comes with balance and so that's what I'm trying to focus on is not get too excited not get too burnt out which I think is a pitfall for a lot of young runners I want to focus on keeping things balanced so that I can you know be running when I'm, you know, 50, 60 and be able to enjoy the trails and be able to adventure even more. And yeah, I think that's, that's probably my biggest goal is to keep enjoying it and to keep that balance up so that I can enjoy it for many, many more years. Yeah. So just to summarize this whole podcast, I think we had a lot of good insights in this. We start off talking about your running journey from when you were young um, and how, you burnt out at a pretty early age and then came back into the trails and that taught you the importance of balance and uh, just enjoying the sport, as you said. And we also touched on, you know, a few trail tips like ascending, descending, and we also talked a bit about your plans for the future. So I think overall it was a really good episode and I feel like the listeners of Voices of the Runners should get to know a bit about the host. Um, I think, you know, thanks everyone for listening to my podcasts. Um, and I think, you know, I'm really enjoying it. It's, I'm really enjoying how it's going and kind of the experiences and learnings that I'm getting from listening to other people's stories and how they've dealt with training and running in their life. So if you, you know, have any ideas, suggestions, I'd love to hear some feedback. Um, and if you do want to get involved with the podcast and you want to appear as a guest, let me know because I eventually, you know, want to get all the voices, you know, that in the running community and hear everyone's story because I really think that's a really valuable resource and we can all learn from each other. So, yeah, and I have to give a huge thanks to Sorta for playing a huge part in helping out with um, this podcast. Yeah, no problem. I really enjoyed it.